Welcome to A Counselor's Journey to Private Practice. I'm your host, Juan, and this podcast teaches mental health professionals to cultivate curiosity and build ambition in their journey to starting, growing, and scaling a private practice. Let's dive into the episode. All right, hey guys, welcome, as always. Um, I am here with uh, someone really close and personal to me, Chad Collins. How are you, Chad? I'm doing well. How are you, Juan? I'm doing well. Um, Chad and I, we were just chatting up before hitting the live button or the go button, whatever the button's called. Um, and I really wanted to have him on here because as a mental health professional, as a business owner of a, a counseling practice, I know that many of you out there have many questions when it comes to um, your accountant, setting up your structure within your practice. And in graduate school, just as a heads up, uh, Chad, we weren't taught many of these things. Like literally we were taught n- no, like none, a zero, a zip when it comes to the business aspect of um, becoming entrepreneurs. Now the clinical side, lots of books, lots of theories, you know, we feel really grounded on that. So I wanted to have you on here um, so that you could shed some light on many of the questions that I'm going to have. Good deal. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah. So let's start with uh, kind of where you're at right now as far as location and then your professional background. How did you find yourself uh, to be where you're at today? Um, Those are great questions. So currently, uh, my offices are located in the Nussbaum Center on South Elm Eugene Street. If you're in the Greensboro area or from the area, you may know it as the old Carolina Steel Building. The Nussbaum Center or organization bought it about 14 years ago, moved over here, and they've been here ever since. And there they really are um, geared towards entre- entrepreneurship and helping people develop and grow their businesses and things like that. So it was a natural fit for me because one of the segments that I serve is, is entrepreneurs and people that are starting their new businesses. Because as a new business owner myself, you know, a lot of times I think people think that as an accountant, you just have all the answers. Well, no, I'm a business owner. It's just like, you know, everyone else. And I had to learn the ins and outs and those things. Kind of like you, I'm taught technically accounting rules. I'm taught about, you know, tax law, tax law and that kind of thing. But it's really one of those things that we kind of learn as we go. Um, and so I got my uh, accounting degree from Guilford College. I got my MBA from the University of Valdosta, Georgia. So it's in Valdosta, Georgia. So it's University of Valdosta. And I've been in private practice or public practice, if you want to call it that, that um, for uh, going on my fifth year. started in 2015. And interestingly enough, um, the universe, if you want to call it that, gave me three opportunities. So I was laid off three times in a row as a mm. controller. I recommended my layoff and the owner took it. It was really a mutual decision. And then as a CFO, I was in a nonprofit working and recommended to the board because I had been laying off other directors. And I thought, well, I'm the second highest paid person in the organization. It's not fair that I lay off people and not recommend my own. They mm-hmm. took it. Honestly, I kind of was, my mouth was agape and I was like, oh my gosh, they really took my um, my recommendation, but it was the right thing to do. And then I was in corporate America and got laid off a third time. And I thought, okay, it's yeah. this, this is the universe's uh, telling me that it's time. And so I had been building my practice as I had kind of come along the, a couple of years prior to that and uh, made the leap of faith, had a nice severance package, thank God, and was able to just step out into the world and, and start helping people. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, it's interesting sometimes when things like that happen, you know, being laid off that many times, we can either go left and 
really feel stuck and struggle or, you know, kind of what you did um, and then go right and look for, you know, optimism for opportunity and then take that leap. I, I hear that from a lot of clinicians as far as uh, they'll work in community set settings, like working for like a hospital, say like Moses Cone here in the Greensboro area. And then they get, you know, really nervous. And I feel for that of taking that leap of faith where, you know, you depend on yourself to make this infrastructure of your business uh, function, if you will. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I think that happens. And I think the other thing that happens in that journey, especially the first year of any new business owner, is you realize quickly what you're made of mm-hmm. and what your metal is <laughs> and what you are actually capable of doing. Um, and so, you, 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 as they say, it's the rubber meets the road and you either rise to the occasion or you don't. Yeah, very well put. And it's nice to have professionals like you so that, you know, whenever we start our private practice or we're deep in it and it's like, man, I have no idea what to do in this puzzle piece that has to be a part of my business. Um, so it's nice to be able to reach out, you know, to people like you. Uh, so, it, so let's go into the first question. Um, you know, me reaching out to you with, with this question, if you will, um, sliding that in. Um, sure. Whenever practitioners or clinicians go into private practice, they have different structures that they can set their business um, up. And, and, you know, you correct my wording, if you will. So there's like a sole proprietorship, LLC, corporations. Um, what's the rationale there uh, from your end when you're working with someone? Uh, and then I, I do know, and I just want to throw this out there because you and I talked about it in the beginning, um, you know, we're not attorneys. So, you know, do not take this as legal advice. Um, so just kind of putting that out there for everyone. Uh, yeah, no, and thank you for saying that um, as a disclaimer, because I think that's the thing, you know, it's like, as you and I were talking, there's two things I think that, and to answer this question, I have to kind of set it up in this way. Um, yeah. First, we've got the taxation side of it, right? And then mm-hmm. the other side of it is the legal entity construction side, which is is, is governed by the state, whatever state you reside in. They're going to have some kind of, but most states, if not all, have like the sole proprietor, which is you don't do anything. You don't file any paperwork. You just open up a business and you just start and you go forth. Now, the downside of that from a legal side, again, not an attorney, but from a liability really more is the, is the, the statement from a liability side, you're completely unlimited in your liability. So, and I always use the lawn company, right? I, I, I grab a truck and I buy me some equipment and I go out there and start cutting lawns, but then I hit a rock and I hit some kid in the head and they get injured very badly. Well, they can come after all of my assets there's no protection there because I am okay. the same as my personal and my business. You file a schedule C from a tax side and, and that's kind of how that works. Then the LLC okay. came along because we, the other, the really the only two original things that we had was from a structure standpoint or an entity standpoint were corporations and partnerships. Mm-hmm. Partnerships are two or more people coming together. I use the bakery as an example. You know, I, I, me and my spouse decide we're going to go into business and open a bakery, right? We don't do any paperwork with the state. We do create a partnership agreement with an attorney that says if something should happen, you know, how that would be if we want to buy in or someone who wants to buy in that kind of thing. The partnership agreement dictates that. But at the end of the day, we don't, we just file as a partnership return and it's a pass through entity for taxes. So the partnership return is an information return. And then what that does is it allows it to flow through to your personal side, which is typically a lower tax rate than a corporate 
rate, right? Okay. So then the corporation, the, the major difference there is that it, it is the only entity type that actually pays its own taxes. So, it, it, but the caveat there is, is that it's double taxation for the owner. So if I have a C Corp, which I do, I have two companies, but on my other company that I own is a C Corp, it pays its own taxes. If I take dividends out, then I have to report that on my personal income tax and I get taxed twice. Okay, so that's where that, people, yeah. yeah. But then again, you've got the same liability protection with that. Okay, partnerships are the same way as a sole proprietor. In my bakery example, me and my spouse basically are both unlimited liability. Okay, so then the LLC came into being as a hybrid creation between the corporate structure and the partnership or the sole proprietor and the corporate mm -hmm. structure. It allows the state says, okay, we're creating an entity. So we'll call it Chad Collins LLC and I'm a sole proprietor, but Basically, I have that liability protection. Now, it's, uh, the reason it's called limited liability is it's whatever your investment. So if I had to put $10,000 into my business, the only liability that I would have is $10,000. If I put zero in, I'd have zero liability. Now, again, not an attorney. These are very basic examples to illustrate the points, but that's really the basic construction. Again, the LLC partnership, sole proprietor, those are all flow through entity or pass through entities mm -hmm. and everything flows through the personal side, except for the corporation. Now I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. Mm -hmm. Then we have what is called the S corp election, right? Mm -hmm. So as a single member LLC, I can elect to have S corp status, which then makes me a hybrid between a, a, an even deeper hybrid, meaning that I'm now a corporation being taxed through as a pass-through. Partnerships can do the same thing. They can elect S-corp status. And actually, even a C-corporation can elect S-corp status, meaning that now it no longer pays its own separate corporate tax rate. Everything flows through to the personal side. So it gives you better tax advantages with still having the protections of the liability side of it. Okay. Now, for those that have licenses, depending on your governing body and your board in your state, let's just use North Carolina because that's mm -hmm. the one I'm most familiar with, you have to have a professional limited liability corporation or a professional corporation if you're going to be a licensed um, entity in the state. So that's the only other little difference that you'll see sometimes as an option. And you don't have any other option if you're going to be a licensed. So like physicians, attorneys, um, therapist, those are just a few of the folks that have to, if they have a license, their board says you have to have a professional corporation or professional limited liability company. Okay. Yeah, no, all, all that was clear. So to two big pointers or nuggets to take out is we want to be able to look at um, liabilities or the protection, um, you know, behind that structure and then tax advantages, you know, how tax is going to play out um, with one of these structures. Now, do you recommend um, or encourage or nudge um, practitioners or clinicians who are in private practice um, to steer away from one of those? Um, I guess for me, like sole proprietorship, would that be one that I, I would stay away just because I'm working with um, patients and there's liability, there's malpractice, you know, things like that? Yes, I, I would say that I would either – so. Truthfully, the way I say this is that, or not even truthfully, candidly, you want to stair-step into whatever organizational 
construction that you want to achieve your tax goals. For example, let's just use the LLC. Mm-hmm. From a organizational standpoint or from the state, it's the most flexible entity type. You have an operating agreement. That's your legal document. You can bring members in. You can bring members out. If you opened your practice and you wanted to bring in quote-unquote partners, all you have to do is make an amendment to your operating agreement and you're done. You're not held to the standard of having an annual meeting. You don't have to have corporate minutes like you do with a corporation. If you're a PC or professional corporation or traditional corporation, those are things you have to have, right? So I think the thing is, is that if you started out as a, Let's just use the PLLC for professional limited liability. You're just a LLC. Mm-hmm. Once you receive, you achieve some net income that will allow you to sustain a salary for yourself, mm-hmm. because then we could look at giving you an S corp election. So then, what happens is, is that in the traditional LLC, anything that flows through to you is going to be subject to self-employment tax, even the net income. So all the net income is going to be subject to self-employment tax, which is 15.3%. If you do the S-corp election, then you have to pay yourself a salary. So you're paying in some of that through payroll deductions. But the, op- the other benefit for you as, a, as, a, as an individual is that you can now, the net income becomes passive and you reduce that 15.3% additional tax that you would pay. So that's one of the, the advantages, and that's the easiest. So again, we stair step up to the S corp election, which has given you some better tax advantages. But we start off with the LLC because it's the most flexible. Okay, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And and I guess in a way too, you you'd encourage thinking ahead, like think about where you want your business to be at tomorrow, and then go ahead and and start structuring it in that manner now. Correct. Now, not to say that if someone did a C corporation because, you know, their mother's brother's son said, Hey, I think that's the greatest thing you should do. We can still go in and do an election or we can potentially tweak some things to maximize that. But again, I think that, you know, the the biggest point to, to your, to your, well, the biggest statement to your point is you're right. You want to get in and talk to someone earlier than later so that you can make the most for your, your choices. Okay. You know that was that was really clear. All of that. I remember getting started. I I I got stuck, just figuring out or, or trying to figure out you know which one to do. The whole liability part uh, for a lot of clinicians, I think that one makes sense because we're pushed to get professional liability, or if we we're in office, get general liability. You know, cover your butt if you will. You know, mm-hmm. make sure you know if a slip and fall, you've got that general to cover that. But from from what you're sharing. There's at least me going back in time. I was like, okay, I did not know that. Did not know that. I wish I knew that. So it's nice to have you on here. You know, just shedding light um, in those areas. I'm sure people listening in are probably writing down and and rewinding and then uh, playing it again. Uh, so that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about. Um, another common question we have is, uh, and I want to ask, pl- planning for taxes. You know, uh, so how, how should clinicians go about that so that they don't find themselves in a situation of, you know, we, we owe too much and, and now business may not open up tomorrow? Yeah. So I, that's a great question. And I think it's one that com- confounds a lot of people and it overwhelms and, and creates anxiety for a lot of folks because, you know, a lot of times the first year that they're in practice, 
they don't know or think that they need to talk to an accountant. So then they finally reach out January, February, March, whenever they are time to do their taxes and they give them the shoebox full of receipts. I'm teasing, right? But they're actually really <laughs> no, still does, but it does happen. Sick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't even get into the whole like having an accounting system and all that. That's for another conversation piece. But, um, but I think that the thing is, is that they, so they, they reach out to the accountant the first year after they do their tax return. And let's just use an exaggerated but not unrealistic example. Then you find out you've got $20,000 tax bill. Hmm. And you're like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay this? I'm going to have to sell a kid or something to be able to get this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> two, <I'm> being, kids. <laughs> two kids maybe. I'm being facetious, of course. Um, but my point is, is that they, the people panic and they freak out. And as I had one lady one time cry on my shoulder, literally. Um, and I don't want that for folks. I think that we can achieve a much simpler process. And that is called meeting with your accountant quarterly, at least, um, or, you know, at least twice a year, I would say, if nothing else, um, to sit down and talk about things that are going on, what you're planning, what's coming up, what you've been doing. But but really, that quarterly meeting is designed to help you to look at how much you've done in revenue, what your expenses are up to that point. If you do have an accounting system like QuickBooks or what, there's several others out there, or if you're using a spreadsheet, whatever you're using to track those things throughout the year, then you can make that really granular um, estimated tax payment. For example, I have an algorithm that I use that takes in a W-2 if your spouse is working, the whole entire family situation, and it gets it very granular so that we can pretty much estimate it where you're paying in no more than you need to because, you know, you, my philosophy is you don't want to give the government an interest-free loan, right? But then you don't want to pay a penalty because you didn't pay enough in throughout the year, which can happen, which is called an under, um, underpayment penalty. So I think sitting down and getting that that number, um, and then some people are like, well, I don't really want to meet with the accountant throughout the year. I just I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on this, and they'll say, well, Chad, what is what is a good percentage? And I'm like, well, you want thirty percent, and they're like, what? A third of my money? But if you think about it, then that's a blanket statement, right? Because I don't know your individual tax situation. You may be at a twelve percent tax bracket, but to be safe and to to, to cover my butt as you you know kind of thing like we got to cover our assets right so and protect those so i have to say 25 30 percent and so i tell people set up a separate savings account every time you get paid put that 20 25 30 percent away into that savings account and don't touch it then when you sit down with your accountant and you estimate what your tax payment should be then you make that payment out of that savings account well let's say you're going well chad now i've got extra three thousand dollars left over i didn't think i was gonna have to pay take a vacation buy yourself something that you want because you've earned it but you've also kept yourself in a good position when it does come tax time that you don't have to worry about an an overarching bill yes all that all that a big yes (laughs) (laughs) i've had um i think i found myself in those situations the very beginning where I was like, oh, shit, what, what are we going to do? <laughs> or I've had um, clients, just clinicians that I'll do consulting for, and they'll share with me. Uh, I'll ask, well, you know, how are you managing, you know, money's coming in? Well, you know, I just pay myself everything and I spend what I want. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen during tax season? You know, Uncle Sam was going to say, knock, knock, I need some of that money back. Um, and it's and there's like a silly element to it, but it's also just due to, you know, we, we weren't educated in those ways. You know, we didn't receive those nuggets 
Um, so now, you know, you and I are sitting here. I was like, okay, here's, you know, here, here's some really important points to place into your business. Um, it, it, it's a lot that goes into a business, just not, you know, outside of just being, you know, a clinician. Uh, right. And if elements like these, you know, conversations you and I are having, if we don't have those, the rest can just, you know, fall. Well, and I think if it's okay to interject something, I think that this is a very valuable point. And I tell this to all of my clients, even as the sole proprietors who are just taking what is called an owner's draw, as to use your expression, they're just paying themselves whatever they earn. Well, it's good that you factor in your cost as a business owner, because I think so often the other extreme happens, Juan, where people were like, I just want to save all the money in the business and I'm just going to live off of, you know, rice and beans for and pimento cheese sandwiches for the rest of the year until I save up enough money. Well, you don't know what it really costs to run a business if you do that. You have to pay yourself first. You know, if we were in private practice working for Moses Cone or if we're working at another group and we decide we want to strike out on our own because we want to do the modalities that that we want to do for ourselves and we want a different model or we want to provide services in a different way. If you don't factor in those costs of what it costs for you to live, you're selling yourself short and you're going to find yourself in a very tough position at some point financially. Okay. Do you recommend, um, as we're getting close to finishing up today, resources for individuals? You mentioned QuickBooks for accounting. Any other resources that maybe you found um, to support someone's a little bit lost uh, when it comes to this conversation? Mileage app. That's the thing I would tell anyone to do, you know, because they think, well, you know, everybody's coming to my office. Well, you run to the bank, you run to the post office, you go to Office Depot to get office supplies. You may do outbound client you know, services. So anything that's related to your business, you want that mileage to be captured because that can add up very quickly. I mean, this year with 57 and a half cents a mile, I mean, that's a pretty significant piece of that. Um, you know, like I said, having an accounting system as a business owner, the number one thing that you can do is have good accounting records. Good books drive the tax return for a business owner. And I think the other thing that would be a big um, big piece is that I would encourage you to reach out and have on your team, I call it building your team, you want to have a good accountant that you trust that will be fair and give you great advice and that will not sugarcoat things. I think no, no one's doing anyone any favors by sugarcoating anything. Yeah. I think you need to speak out the truth and you, and you need to do it with kindness. That's my motto, truth and kindness. The other thing is you want to have a good insurance broker or agent that is able to help you with your risk management, i.e. your professional and general liability insurance and any other insurances that you need. And then I think the third and most, and the other valuable resource is a good attorney, someone that can give you advice on maybe your contracts if you're using some kind of contracts with clients or if you're using um, to understand the contracts with your vendors who are paying you if you're using insurances. Um, also, for your independent contractor agreements, if you're having someone that's coming in that's going to work as an independent contractor and rent an office space from you, you want to have a solid independent contractor agreement. So those attorney, and then, of course, going back to your entity level, they can help you with operating your agreement or bylaws. They can help navigate any legal issues. And, you know, and I think the fourth thing is if, you know, outsourcing your HR, I think if you are going to hire an employee or have things like that, having someone that can give you guidance on the HR side of it, because we can get to a lot of hot water very quickly in, in employee relations kind of things. Well, perfect. Yeah, those, those are really great resources. 
uh, makes me think about um, is it is it Alibaba, the company where the owner is really big on hire, hiring, excuse me, hiring or bringing in, you know, people that are smarter than you so that, you know, you're, you're growing, um, you're growing a healthy business, if you will. So I think that, you know, if you don't need to hire it in-house, you can certainly outsource it or offshore it or however you want to look at it. But I think having that that, that resource available that you can contact when you have questions. And I think the one thing that I would en- encourage the audience to, to, to hear, if there's nothing else they walk away from today, there are many times where I have clients that don't call me um, and then they trigger a taxable event. And then I ask everyone, why didn't you call me? And I'm astounded by the answer. I did not want to bother you. And I'm like, so the literal $20,000 tax bill situation was because she didn't call me. And and to use her expression, and pardon my French, but she says, well, hell, I'm going to call you now for everything I've got. And I'm like, good, you should. Because that's the thing. If you don't utilize your resources, then why have them? Yeah. Well, thank you, Chad. Um, You and I were both in Greensboro, North Carolina, and there's people listening to this um, all over the world. So how can someone contact you, uh, pick your brain, ask you questions, maybe hire you, work with you? So my website has all the good information about I mean, it's the easiest way. It's um, is there a way to put this in chat, Juan? Yeah, yeah. I'll, well, I'll put it in the show notes if you want okay. to share it um, yeah. out loud. You could do that, but I'll, I'll yeah. be sure to put all this in the show notes. So my website is chadmcollins.com. If you just do chadcollins.com, you're going to get the tennis. I mean, the the pro golfer. Uh, I play tennis, so that's why my default is tennis. But Chad M. It's in Matthew, chadmcollins.com, and that has all the ways to contact me. Well, perfect. And then I'll make sure to put those in the show notes so you guys can check that out. Chad, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for being here, for sharing space with all of us. All of the information has been um, – it's, uh, it's what I, in part of my brain, like to call the boring information, but it is needed and important and vital. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And I really have uh, been, it's been an honor to be here today. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you. Take care. In your journey of private practice, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please leave an awesome review and share this podcast with any counselor you think is working towards starting, growing, and scaling a counseling practice. Let's grow together in our journey. I'll see you in the next episode.